Hi everyone, my name is Ryan Alexander and I serve as the lead pastor at Hosanna. As we've been saying for years, we believe the Lord led you here. And we hope that what you hear today will encourage you to take a step forward in your faith journey and help you look more like Jesus. After today's message, I encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. So grateful as we continue in our series, A Year with Jesus, and our current reflection on miracles. You know, over the last several weeks, many of you have sent in testimonies of how God has met you in extraordinary ways, how you've been recipients of his miraculous power, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and the like. And I am so grateful for your willingness to share what God has done in and through and for you as it lifts our sights collectively and fans the flames of expectation as to what God is and what God will do in and through all of us. I want you to be clear and hear me that God longs for his children to be the recipients of all that he has for us. And that includes his gift of miracles and healing. And that is why we want to continue to draw your attention to it. As we continue in this journey of miracles, I want to just have a step back for a minute to a couple of things that Pastor Ryan said as he started off really strong, reiterating two things. One is that miracles are to be expected. They were to have been expected then when Jesus was with us, and they are to be expected now. And some of us may think, well, of course, it was easy to expect miracles. Jesus was the one that gave miracles. But I want to remind you that healing, which is a miracle, which is a gift, is one of the gifts that is given to us for us to be able to exact. And so I want us to get a hold of that, that miracles are to be expected. Let us lift our sights to the fact that God wants us to know that miracles are a regular occurrence among us. But one of the other things I appreciate that Ryan said to us is that God always heals medically, instantly, or eternally. That's one of the things that we say here at Hosanna, that God uses the medical field to be a part of our healing. Sometimes he heals instantly, but always, always we will be made new in eternity. And so I want us to think about that as we continue this journey. But there's one more thing I want to remind us of. Friends, sometimes we think of a miracle as only the grand or the massive things that God can only do by his power. And rarely do we see ourselves the way that God sees us, fully imbued with the Holy Spirit's power. Hear this, to be both conduits and recipients of everyday miracles conduits and recipients, meaning that God wants us to experience his miracle working power. But guess what? In the everyday, he also wants us to be conduits. He wants us to be people through who miracle working power flows. So today, as we unpack a very famous portion of scripture from Luke chapter nine, you all know it as the feeding of the 5,000. I want you to pay attention to what I call the both and within the gospel. Both Jesus' miraculous presence and power to heal and his inclusion of his disciples in working the miracle. 
And as we read this, I want you to think of the both and principle in your own life. In other words, where are you or have you been both a recipient of the miracles of God and where is God calling you? Through prayer? Through fasting? Through the studying of his word? Through touching and agreeing with someone? To be a conduit, a partner in the miraculous. So with that, let's go to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to back us up into verse 10, and we're going to look at verse 10 through verse 17. And then we're going to unpack this a little bit because there's some interesting things that I want you all to see. Luke 9, verses 10 through 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and the countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, not including women and children. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in about groups of 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The parable of the 5,000 is found in all four Gospels. In fact, it's one of the few that are found in all four Gospels, but is told, I think, most succinctly in Luke chapter 9. Interestingly, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, of chapter 9, Look at what has happened. Jesus brought the 12 together. And as Luke says, he gave them power and authority, verse 1, to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. I hope you all are getting where I'm getting ready to go if you go back to verse 1. So... When God gave them authority and told them that they had authority to cast out devils and to heal the sick, they acted on it and they went and they did it. They didn't have anything else with them. They simply had 
faith and they went and did it. So much so that in verse 10, they came back saying, Jesus, guess what happened? Guess what we did? They exercised their faith and they used the authority that they had. So when the manifestation of the miraculous came, they went back and they told Jesus. Then they withdrew to a secluded place and the crowds followed. Look at what happened next. The disciples who have just exacted miracles have the same opportunity to exact their faith in feeding of the 5,000. But instead, what did they do? Go send them somewhere else. We do the big stuff. The demons flee with us. Send the crowd away. Send them somewhere else to somewhere else so they can get what they need. Friends, when it comes to miracles, we cannot constantly default to someone else or send people somewhere else. Stop sending people to get Tylenol. Lay hands on people first. Come on, where is our power? We constantly defer people. Go somewhere else. Do something else. Why? Because we often don't believe that we can be partners with God in exacting a simple miracle. Twelve disciples were given power. No more food, no extra shirts, nothing else. And they got excited about that. But when it came to feeding people who were desperate and hungry, they said, go do something else. This isn't what we're called to do. What's my point? Too often, our surroundings and our circumstances speak louder than who is in front of us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ should always be in front of you. He should always be first in your mind. He should always be the first one that you talk to in the morning. Before you worry, you should be talking to him. Before you accept a diagnosis, you ought to bring it to him. He ought to be first in every single thing. But too often, we feel like we're in a desert place. This doesn't look familiar. So we send ourselves off or other people off to fix what we cannot see. But what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, yep, you're right. Go send them somewhere else. I mean, it's late. What did Jesus say? You feed them. You do it. The same ones who just had power to drive out demons, you do it. You feed them. Jesus said to them, as my servants, your job is to serve didn't you just come back from telling me how God met you when you left with no extra provisions? Didn't you just come back telling me, Jesus, guess what? The demons fled. Go do it again. No matter how small, dear friends, it may seem to you, your faith combined with God's promise can be life-altering for somebody else. God is our provider. He is the God of more than enough. He is the God of the overflow. So question for you, how might his overflowing goodness in your life spill over into somebody else's life? Do y'all know these days that sometimes a miracle is simply locking eyes with someone and saying hello? When you ask somebody, how are you? You don't just keep walking, but you actually say, no, I really want to know. How are you? How can I pray with you? How can I touch and agree with you? We get so busy about the other things that we're not always busy about the kingdom work. 
A miracle for some people these days is just being seen. A miracle is an offering of food for someone who has lived on the streets. A miracle is a healthy touch for somebody who has been physically abused all of their life. The miraculous is not always up here. Oftentimes it is right here. And we can be a part of giving those miracles. Greater is he, the gospel says, that is in you than he who is in the world. When Jesus left here, he gave us power and peace. We need to exact that power and peace. So Jesus said to them, "Uh uh-uh, don't send them away. You feed them. And what was their response? We only have five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy some food for this crowd. In other words, you're saying my natural sight is speaking louder than the supernatural vision that God gives. I got to figure this out on my own. Maybe they felt like we feel weak and incapable and unworthy. Jesus, we don't have what it takes. I know that we just did the big things, but we don't have what it takes. Can I tell you all one of the things that I've learned in my own life? Small thinking equals small expectations. You don't want anything from God? Don't ask. Don't ask. But if you want something big, take your thinking and raise your sights higher. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. Ask boldly, faithfully, willingly, trustingly. It doesn't matter if you only have five loaves and two fish. You said how they said we only have this. Not even recognizing that the five loaves and the two fish were a setup for a miracle. Not recognizing that God can use anything. We've got to lift our small thinking and make greater expectations. It reminds me of the story of God's provision of the promised land in Numbers chapter 13. It was a land, the gospel tells us, filled with milk and honey. And the evidence of his goodness was in numbers and bounty and food. But what happened? They saw the Nephilim. They saw the giants in the land. And what they saw with their natural eye was greater than what God had promised them. To the point that they said in verse 33, and I'm going to give this to you in the Living Bible, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in theirs. Friends, as a result of how we see ourselves, we also draw others to that. Because they saw themselves as small, as insignificant, they put away the promise of God. All they saw was the obstacle in their way. Now hear me. I understand that this is hard. I understand that many of you have prayed for miracles. I understand that sometimes the answers that God gives us are different than what we expect. But we should still be asking, trusting, and believing in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Are y'all hearing me? Nod your head like, yep, we hear you. Come on, y'all. The world tells us in Matthew 24, the world's going to get darker before it gets brighter. But I told you before, darker world, brighter Christ. 
You have power in you to exact miracles. You have power in you to join your faith with God's word and to see things move. You are no small thing. Get rid of your grasshopper thinking. Get rid of the small-mindedness that we often fall prey to. I can't do it. It's just too big. We have got to be mindful of small thinking. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that while we are in these physical bodies, in this tent, we are grown and we are burdened. Friends, I understand to live in this world can be difficult. Paul knew it then, we know it now. To live in this tent, he writes to the Corinthian church. We are groaning and we are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be enclosed instead with our heavenly dwelling. In other words, Paul is saying, man, when we live in this earth, it's hard. We're groaning because we long to be made in our new bodies. We long to be in a heavenly place where we don't have to see sickness and death anymore. It says, so what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Paul says if we get caught up in walking in these natural bodies, if we get caught up as God's people, people who are people of the Spirit, if we are constantly walking by sight, we're going to get tripped up. How many of you feel that sometimes? You watch the news and you're like, I got to turn it off. I can't. I can't hear about one more death. I can't see one more thing. I recognize in my own life when I watch too much of that stuff, it wears on my faith. Sometimes I've got to close my eyes in the natural and I've got to say, God, give me greater strength in the spiritual. Help me to raise my sights to where you are. Help me to know that you are not a man that you should lie or the son of man that you should repent. That your word is true. That Jesus, you are the yes and the amen. That whether you heal instantly or through a medical way or whether you heal in eternity, you are healer and you use our prayers. So Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish from the disciples that said, this is all we have. And what did he do? He looked up to heaven. He looked to heaven, he looked to his source, he looked to Abba Father, he looked to El Elyon, he looked to the one who loves us and know us best, and he thanked him in advance for what he was getting ready to do. One of the greatest principles in my life is learning to say, thank you, Lord, before I see the miracle. To say, thank you, Lord, Thank you that you trust that your Holy Spirit is in me to guide me. Thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave me or forsake me. Thank you, Lord, that I have family with me to walk me through this. Thank you, Lord, that I have life insurance. Thank you, Lord, at the end of them, you are ready to work a miracle on my behalf. Thank you, Lord. Friends, we've got to learn to look to heaven regularly, and that's what Jesus did. He took what was provided, and he looked to heaven, and he gave thanks 
And after he gave the bread and the fish to the disciples to distribute. Guys, have them sit down in groups of 50. Bless it and said, now here, be the conduit of a miracle. Take what I gave you and give it to them. And what happened when he gave it to them? It started to overflow. The blessing multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. Here's what I love about our God, and I don't know if you all have experienced this, but our God does not just add, he multiplies. There is a multiplication factor about what God does. Look at this. It says that they all ate, after it was distributed, they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Friends, they didn't just have a nibble. They ate until they were full. Can you imagine them all just laying out like, "Woo, we are stuffed. Jesus like, sit up, I haven't talked to you yet. They ate until they were satisfied, until they had enough. And not only were they satisfied as after they ate, the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The multiplication factor of God. The Greek word of satisfied here refers to a feeding place, refers to a grassy place. It calls us back to our good shepherd in Psalm 23, who brings us to green pastures, to quiet waters, who restores our soul. Somebody needs to hear me today. Some of us need more than a physical miracle. Some of us need a restoration of our mind. Some of us need our will and our emotions to keep trusting and keep believing and continuing to walk by faith. Some of you don't need a physical miracle today. But for some of you, your faith feels like it's on the ropes. And the faith that you need, the miracle that you need is a deeper revelation of who God is. You need to be like the woman said, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Some of you are sitting here today and you've been so tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and things that have broken your heart. Some of you here who are at our other sites, you're so exhausted and depleted. You've been church hurt and everything else. You're overwhelmed. What the miracle that you need is a touch from the Holy Spirit. You need the pain that's in your life, the frustration with unanswered prayers. You need God just to touch you one more time, and he will do it. Is there anyone in this room that's there? God, I'm in the need of a miracle that you touch my mind, my will, and my emotions. At the sites of anyone there, if you're there, he's willing and ready to meet you in that place. So they ate and they gathered all that was left over. Friends, all who come to Christ to receive of him, to make room for him in our lives will never be left without sustenance or greater yet, we will never be left without salvation. John chapter six, verses 35 through 40, it says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never Never, will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you do not believe. 
All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Hear this, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but I will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Y'all, do you see that your salvation isn't just a one-time thing? That he never wants to lose you, and nobody can ever take you out of his hand. He wants to hold tight to you. He wants intimacy with you. He wants to draw you closer to him. He wants to whisper the realities of heaven in your ear. Isn't it amazing that we don't serve a God of stone or brass or iron, that we serve a living God who actually stepped out of eternity, born in the womb of a virgin, who walked as we walked and talked as we talked, who lived among us, who gave his life for us, who died, took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and sits at the right hand of the Father, cheering us on. He's cheering us on. The great cloud of witnesses is cheering you on. The Holy Ghost is reminding you, you've got this. The belt plate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the shoes of peace, the sword of the spirit is all on you and for you because you have victory in Jesus Christ, whether you feel like you have victory right now or not. Jesus is never going to let go of you, even if you choose to let go of him. Jesus is our ultimate provision, dear friends. A spotless lamb, sacrificed for us so that we may never thirst again. We will never again, as long as we follow Jesus, be unsatisfied or without hope again. This is about eternal provision. Doesn't mean that we won't struggle from time to time, but Jesus will always be there. And he said, this is the Father's will that I won't lose one who has put their faith or trust in me. How many of you have ever heard the name Jehovah Jireh? How many of you ever heard Jehovah Jireh? What does it mean? The Lord God, our provider. Do you know where that originated? The name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, our provider. One of the most popular names of God was revealed in the midst of an incredible test of faith. Found in Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham is asked by God to bind his son Isaac, the one whom he loved, and to sacrifice him. In that moment, as Abraham lifted the dagger to take the life of his son, the voice of God says, wait. And as Abraham looks in the thicket, a ram was provided in the bush. Abraham sacrificed that ram and named the place of sacrifice, the Lord will provide. What am I saying to you? For all of you who are watching and all of you who are in this room, 
When we exercise our faith, sometimes we are exercising our faith in some of the most difficult times in our life. Can you imagine for Abraham what that was like? To have prayed, to have waited, to have trusted, to finally have this son, and then to be asked to sacrifice his son? This isn't about God playing games with our emotions. This is about an act of extraordinary faith. And God provided. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, our provider, provided an extraordinary miracle. Here's what's interesting. The Hebrew word here is about more than a last moment miracle of provision. The word provide or provider also speaks of God seeing to it, accomplishing that which he called forth to have done. Friends, some of you are believing God for something today. He is more than your provider in a moment. He will see to it that that which he has promised and spoken over your life shall come to pass. And sometimes what he is asking of us is not to wait until we feel comfortable or happy, but in the time of stretching and testing is when we need to lift our hands to him who is our provider and give thanks, to trust that he will do what he promised he would do. Final thoughts for you. Dear friends, will you join me in working toward increasing your expectation of both of being a recipient and a conduit of miracles? How many of you know our world is in need of miracles? How many know what we see around the world right now? We have some captives who are in need of some miracles. We need to see some people set free in the name of Jesus. You know what our miracle conduit can be? Prayer. Pray constantly, consistently, by name, the people who are held captive right now. Pray for an end of the war. Pray for an end to ugliness. Pray for Jehovah Jireh. Pray for Yeshua to make himself known. Pray not when you feel like it. Pray because prayer has power. Increase your expectation of not just receiving. I want you to receive. I want you to receive. But I also want you to be a conduit of miracles. Number two, never let your situation or circumstance block your vision from knowing who is in you and who is with you. Y'all, I, I am guilty as charged. There are times when I have not been able to see rightly because I've walked by sight and not by faith. Pray for me as I pray for you that we will be people of supernatural vision, not of natural vision. And number three, remember that praise, worship, blessing, and adoration of our God in our daily lives will increase our anticipation and our expectation of miracles, great and small. Y'all, let's be people of praise. Huh? Let's be people of praise in great and in small ways. Let's be people who adore our King. Let's recognize that praise and worship is what loosed uh, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego from the fiery furnace and opened the prison doors for Paul and Silas. It will open it for you too. I want you to join me with that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. 
Not only for the provision of miracles, but also allowing us to be the conduits of miracles. Do in our day what only you can do. Use us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all who would agree would say, amen.